Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, Spider-Man has web-slinged out of the MCU. Are we ready for another Matrix? And did Gamescom delight or disappoint? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is also our Spider Bum fan of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out everything that he's doing today on popculturecosmos.com, Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and so much more including Game Source, Humanity Media, and his book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend, who's bummed like I am right about now. It is Josh Peterson. What's going on, man? What's up? So I'm sitting here reading about GameStop, you know, how they keep popping up every week. And it reminds me of this time when I was a kid. My family's out this lake. We rented a pontoon boat. And as we were driving this pontoon boat, it kept slowly sinking into the water until by the time we got to where we were going, the boat was all the way capsized. That's what GameStop reminds me of right now. Well, they laid off another 120 individuals this week at their corporate office. That's not a good sign. But we talked about this before in a previous podcast about how much money that they're going through. They've closed ThinkGeek down, and there's going to be a lot more changes to come with GameStop. So we'll have to wait and see exactly what's ahead for them. I'll tell you, in all honesty, it can't be good. I mean, the signs are all there. The money losing quarter after quarter as far as into the hundreds of millions of dollars. How much longer they're going to sustain all those brick-and-mortar stores is very uncertain. But you know what? It is something that won't be unexpected because the way that we're buying video games has changed. And unfortunately, GameStop is just not equipped enough to change along with it that quickly. This must all be very real because they're cutting into the Game Informer staff. So that's just something I found interesting. To me, that's something that's also not surprising because you've seen it before with IGN and other outlets, especially magazine outlets. The magazines are something that is going by the wayside rather quickly. A lot of game magazines, Nintendo Power and many others that have flourished over the years 
are either no longer available or are in very desperate times. And when it comes to these web gaming internet outlets, we've seen before the mass exodus of IGN before as far as layoffs are concerned there. We've seen it with other outlets. So it's not surprising to me that Game Informer would be affected as well. So it's a shame because not too far in the distant past, my friend, I remember going to the GameStop Expos and and seeing all that that they had there to offer and all the different developers and publishers you know, coming together, almost like a mini version of E3. It was great to see both in Las Vegas and also in Anaheim when they would flip-flop back and forth. But unfortunately... It times are not good for GameStop because their brick and mortar business is not quite what it used to be, but that's just a telling sign of the industry going forward. It's going to be an awesome time that we're going to have talking about all the important news and trends that came up this week in pop culture. Yes, we're going to hit Spider-Man leaving the MCU. Is this going to be a permanent thing? Is this going to be something that's temporary? We're going to talk about that in detail coming up here in a sec. There's a new Matrix that was announced in development. We're going to talk about if we actually want another Matrix and if we desire it. 007 has a new name. We're just going to quickly mention that to you later on in the show as well. Jessica Box from the TVRatingsGuide.com. She's coming back to talk about HBO Succession. Why is it working with audiences? And could it be the new show that HBO has been looking for since the end of Game of Thrones? We're going to talk about that. Plus, also as well, we're going to recap a little bit of what we liked at Gamescom, plus a preview of D23. Real quickly, what we're hoping for this weekend in Anaheim, right down the street from Josh, actually, at D23. And then also as well, we're going to just quickly run over the next 10 entries. That's 181 to 190 in our top 200 video games of all time. But first, my friend, it's the lead story. Just when you thought it was going to be slow in the latter part of August, Marvel and Sony had a powwow and they couldn't play nice-nice with each other to keep Kevin Feige and that whole thing going as far as Spider-Man within the realm of the MCU. They asked for 50-50 share for not only the Spider-Man profits, but also the Venom movie, also producing more stuff within the Spider-Man universe. You know what? Disney wanted a 50-50 share of it, both paying for it, but also reaping the profits from it. At first, when it was announced, a lot of people were really getting on Sony. There's a little bit of pushback going on with Disney and their part of it. But I want to hear your thoughts as our resident Spider-Man fan, tried and true. I mean, that's one of the first things I knew about you is your love for the Spider-Man character. Your thoughts on Spider-Man at the present time Spider-Man, due to Sony and Marvel, really can't get along at this point in time, that Spider-Man is now leaving the MCU. You know, I've been thinking about this for a few days now, and it's hard for me to really speculate because I haven't heard Disney hasn't responded to this at all. From what we hear from Sony, Sony is disappointed, you know, and I quote, and it has something to do with Feige's availability or whatever, but I don't think that's true. I think there's some things going on behind the scenes. What I also think is that this is, yeah, it's probably a big thing to do with money. And Disney, if if Spider-Man Far From Home hadn't made as much money as it did, I don't think Disney would have cared. You know, we would have kept going on to seeing what we did. Disney's just very greedy. They are a very, very greedy company. 
And that kills me because having the first day rights, they made a, a whole lot of money regardless. So it's just, it's one of those things. But why would they weave Spider-Man so heavy into the Marvel stories? Is money so important to them that they would demand money over really caring about how the fans feel about this? Because everyone's already become really attached to Tom Holland's Spider-Man. And if they're going to remove him from that, then it's just going to kind of make a lot of the old story arcs and the Avenger films feel like a waste of time to me. But, I mean, where do you stand on that story-wise? Well, let's clarify it out. The deal that was made before had Disney reaping all the profits from merchandising because they own the character outside of the movie realm. But within the movie realm, Sony was taking virtually everything outside of a... 5% first dollar gross. That's the only thing that Disney and Marvel were getting for Kevin Feige's involvement and also Disney and Marvel as a whole as far as within that realm. But again, it's a context of how committed are you as an entity to go ahead and get this Marvel Cinematic Universe right? One of the main reasons Disney went ahead and purchased Fox was to go ahead and bring Fantastic Four, bring the X-Men into the fold and help long-term create scenarios that will enhance and strengthen the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward down the line. We're going to see the benefits from that five, ten years down the line for sure. But to do that and to let this part of it go because they wanted a not just a bigger cut, which is understandable that they want a bigger cut, but a extensively bigger cut to the point where it's 50-50 to where it makes it unattractive. And we've also heard other reports saying that it's not as large as 50-50. Maybe it was like 30% or whatnot. But I'm going off of what Deadline first reported because they were the first, and, and they should get credit for this, they were the first to report this out there as far as the differences and the standoff and the whole separation and the whole nine yards. But at this point in time, I mean... They need to come back to the table at some point in time, but if there's any time that it could happen, now is probably an okay time as any. And the reason why I'm saying that is because Far From Home set up the future going forward, and spoilers here for those who haven't seen it, for the Spider-Man character for his next movie to be on the run, to be hiding out because his identity is now out there. And due to the manipulation and video fraud presented by Mysterio, he is now a fugitive on the run, per se. So his story is going to take him on his own length first. And with all the stuff going on in Phase 4, there's really not much time to go ahead and integrate Spider-Man. But in Phase 5... When you get back to doing Avengers movies and you get back to possibly even doing Secret Wars and things of that nature where Spider-Man is an integral character, those two entities need to come back to the table and start negotiating a better deal. I don't necessarily disagree with Sony's end because if it was a 50-50 split, that's not going to be great for them because... If that's the case, they'll go back to making seven to $800 million and taking all the profits from there. And no, they won't be making a billion dollar Spider-Man movie anymore, but still seven to $800 million would probably be okay by them. So I don't know, man. I mean, you can see it either way. For Sony, it's an issue of money and not being able to take as much in if you succeed to Disney with your right, the corporate greed that's out there. But with Disney, 
they provided a opportunity for Sony to grow this character to a point where Sony's never been able to get it with the integration of Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And in doing so, they have elevated him and all this other stuff that's going on, Venom and Morbius and Craven the Hunter and all that. Going forward, anything that comes up in the near future is relevant and is in large part to what they've done with Tom Holland appearing in Captain America Civil War and in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it goes both ways, my friend. But the biggest loser is you and I if Spider-Man does not return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it just defeats the purpose of Marvel, in my opinion, actually purchasing Fox if any intention was to get the X-Men and Fantastic Four integrated. Because if you don't have everybody integrated into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, that's all your characters, then it really doesn't make any sense why you spent all that money in the first place. Yeah, and on top of that, a lot of the most impactful stories in the MCU involving X-Men, involving Fantastic Four, they had Spider-Man in them because Spider-Man... Well, also the fact that you've lost Captain America and that you've already lost Black Widow and that you also have lost Iron Man as far as Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, also as well as Scarlett Johansson, three of your more high-profile actors, and you can't simply replace them with something else... Tom Holland's Spider-Man was going to be a major character going forward. Yeah, well, they were, you could tell that they were trying to groom him into that character. And it's nice because Spider-Man's a character where you take a look at you, you know, you watch him and he's more relatable than anybody else in the MCU. And that's kind of something that they really needed to keep that universe grounded. And I hope they go back to that. My big concern here is that if Tom Holland's Spider, you know, he signed on for what, two more movies? If his Spider-Man goes back to Sony these universes need to coincide with each other because if they start canceling out things and, you know, villains show up in a Spider-Man film or vice versa, it's going to be very confusing. It's going to make everything feel like an extreme waste of time. It's just like the way that they canceled out the Netflix shows. You know, there's just, there's too many things going on in too many places and they need to adhere to what has already been created. You know, that's a big concern for me, but also, I want to see Spider-Man in more Marvel films. You know, he, he had that relationship with Tony Stark and, and his relationship with Happy Hogan. In the last movie, right? Happy Hogan and his aunt. That was a big story arc. If we lose that, then we will no longer get John Favreau in a Spider-Man movie. You know, it's just there's so many places they could have gone and now they can't go there, if that makes sense. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Listen up, all you gamers out there. Miracle Fruit Oil is ramping up the deals on its awesome Vitabrace Gaming Wristband. Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve your gaming performance. Vitabrace will help you achieve your gaming goals, whether it's that single-player campaign, retro classic, or battle royale. Head on over today to MiracleFruitOil.com, and if you use the code Vitabrace50, you'll get half off on a Vitabrace gaming wristband or use the code buy one get one and it's buy one get one free that's right just use the code Vitabrace50 or buy and the number one get and the number one today to get some great deals on some Vitabrace gaming wristbands so check it out today at miraclefruitoil.com Vitabrace win with it My hope is that they go ahead 
and find the time to get back together and renegotiate on this and see these things clear because you could probably get away with it by the time the next movie comes around if you focus primarily on him just on the run and trying to clear his name. That's going to be pretty much the emphasis of the next Spider-Man movie. That's basically what it set itself up as, Peter Parker trying to clear his name after the events of Far From Home. It's down the line. When Phase 5 happens and you see all this going on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and you don't see a Spider-Man involved in it, even though he is such an integral part of all this that went on previously and in the comic books he's such an integral part of it as you said it would be a shame if they just go ahead and, and try to ignore that as best they can as far as a fan watching the mcu and the marvel cinematic universe it would probably be just something that's okay something is being left out something's missing something's not entirely there which is kind of disappointing because now that you've had something like this it, it just feels funny without it. And you could lose some interest from the casual audience that's out there. I mean, we didn't have Spider-Man in the earlier part of this decade as the Marvel Cinematic Universe was growing and it, you know more and more people were getting interested and in climbing onto it. I was climbing onto it. You were probably already invested into it. And we were hoping, oh, it'd be great if Spider-Man's there, but he's at Sony, so it's not a big deal. But once Spider-Man got involved into it, it brought it to another level as far as the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And to not have Spider-Man there in Phase 5 as all these major developments are happening with all the new characters that are being introduced in Phase 4 and what's going on with the integration of Fantastic Four and the X-Men would be very disappointing. And also on a Sony end, you're never going to achieve the same type of success with the Spider-Verse without the integration of the Marvel Cinematic Universe if you don't get spider-man involved if the rumors are true and you don't get venom involved in the mcu or anyone else in the spider-verse as well so kevin feige not having his hands on in some form or fashion within this spider-verse i know lord and miller the guys behind into the spider-verse they've done a great job with that movie and they're going to be taking over not only the spider television universe but it seems now in the absence of Kevin Feige, they'll be taking over the movie end of it as well. And that's great and all, but you've seen the magic that Kevin Feige has done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and you just don't have 100% faith that anyone else can can come close. Yeah, I agree. And he's he's been the one that's kind of kept the thing that I'm concerned about, the continuity going. Like, he's the one that has made sure, you know, none of these characters clash with each other. We don't misuse anybody we don't double use anybody like without them there i think that sony's gonna maybe fall back into their old habits of shoving too many bad guys on the screen to set up future films that will never happen and then i just i don't want them to take what's already been built and mess it up though they did do a great job with venom so maybe they have turned a new leaf i don't know i have to take your word for it when it comes to they did a great job with venom Money-wise, when you're making $800 million, yeah, obviously they did. And with Andy Serkis directing the next one, it looks still looks like it's a good step for Sony. I can't tell you I enjoyed Venom, and I can't tell you a lot of the critics out there didn't enjoy Venom, but it's one of those cases where, hey, critical reception was pushed to the side, something that commercially did very well. So overall, I think down the road, it's not going to be in either Sony's or Marvel's benefit to have Spider-Man out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That would be very disappointing for casual fans and also hardcore fans alike. But most importantly, if 
financially, I think going forward, it's going to impact both. And it's probably going to revert back to the point where it was before Spider-Man stepped into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where the movies aren't going to be doing quite as well as they are now. What are your thoughts out there on Spider-Man temporarily, let's hope, leaving the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Sony and Disney slash Marvel not coming to terms on an agreement on how to go forward with Spider-Man into the MCU. Share us your thoughts. Are you disappointed like we are? Are you mad at Sony or are you mad at Disney? Let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, Humanica Media, and GameSource on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Well, my friend, you know, amongst all this stuff going on with Spider-Man, seemingly all on the same day that all, all the stuff was going on, a new Matrix was announced as being in development officially going forward. Lana Wachowski, one of the directors of the original Matrix trilogy, she is going to go ahead and revive the Matrix franchise, maybe going forward for more Matrix movies. We'll have to wait and see, but Matrix 4 is officially underway. Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, who played Neo and Trinity in the first three Matrix movies, have signed on officially for the project. We haven't heard if Lawrence Fishburne is going to be a part of it. We haven't heard if Hugo Weaving or anyone else is going to be a part of it as well. But it is still something that I think a lot of people were going, okay, um, number two and three were not exactly as good as the original Matrix. Kind of had a weird ending that left a lot of people going, huh? So I ask you, my friend, are you excited for a new Matrix coming out? Is this something that needs to be done? Is this something that should be done? And is this something you really want to be done at this point in time? I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm I feel cash like grab, cash grab, cash grab. I, I feel like Terminator on this. So you know, like I feel like it's an appropriate time for something like the Matrix be released because you know, look at the world around you. You go out to dinner. You see kids wrapped up in technology, right? And we see all these new technological advances coming out. They don't really benefit anyone. And it's, we're reaching that whole point where just because you can create something, should you? And that kind of coincides with machines rebelling against man. So it's kind of a, a cool theme, a, a good time for something like that to pop up. But in the form of the Matrix, is it something that needs to be shown? I don't know. I don't think so. I would love to see what happened in the aftermath of the Matrix Revolution. Let me tell you my thoughts on the Matrix. Love the Matrix 1. Matrix 2 had some really cool fight scenes. The highway scene is really good. Yeah, and like, you know, Matrix Revolution had a couple cool fight scenes, but it's just that's all it was, though. You know, they tried so hard to pack it so full of substance, and then it didn't end up going anywhere or making any sense to a lot of people. I get it. You know, Neo's God, the one, you know, yada, yada, that kind of stuff they were going for. But it's just, it wasn't something that I walked out of the theater going, you know, I would really love to see more of that. And I think they're also trying to cash in on Keanu Reeves popularity right now, pure cash grab. But, you know, story-wise, I just, I don't know where else they could go with something like this, you know? And it's it just, it's, mm, I don't know, man, I'm torn. I'm torn. Like, as much as I love the first Matrix, I don't think I want to go back for a fourth round in the, uh, you know, in the man versus machine arena. Well, as you remember, in the last Matrix movie, I mean, I left a lot of people scratching their heads trying to figure out 
the ending and the meaning of it all and, and the explanation that was given, you know, when they were trying to go ahead and do exposition on it, it just left a lot of people scratching their heads and going, huh? You know, and then the ending where he becomes a godlike figure, you know, the one and all that. And, and he kind of actually died, but he didn't, he was lived through the technology and, and is he alive? Is he not alive? It kind of, you know, it kind of left it up a little bit in the air. I mean, I think they can make uh, something up, uh, you know, because they've said the ones beforehand, they kept coming back or rebirth or reborn and all that. I'm sure they can figure out something for Keanu Reeves character, Neo, but in the case of Trinity, she flat out died. She flat out died, my friend, in the last Matrix movie as they were trying to go ahead and get Keanu Reeves to meet for the final battle and all that. You know, she flat out died. So I don't know how they're going to go ahead and, and integrate her back into the Matrix universe. It just it scratches my head that they want to go ahead and do this. I would have just rebooted it with all different characters. That would have been me if they really, really want to do something with the Matrix universe at this point in time. But you know what? That's all on their own. You're right. They are cashing in or they're trying to cash in on the popularity of Keanu Reeves. I mean... Keanu is so smart right now. He knows he's a hot property right now. He knows the internet loves Keanu. So he is just putting himself into different projects. Cyberpunk 2077, the new Bill and Ted movie coming out, John Wick movies. You know, he is a hot commodity at this point in time. So he is smart to go ahead and say, you know what? Back up the Brinks truck if you want me to come on over because I'll go ahead and do it. Props to him for understanding what his level of popularity is right now. But to bring back and try and extend the already what we thought was finished Matrix series. When Again, this goes back to this nostalgia plays that we see so often. Yeah, there's, there's people like you and I that remember it. But there's now a lot of people that are millennials, Generation Z and all that, that never watched the Matrix movies on TV or never watched the Matrix movies in theaters. They don't get it. Even if they sat them down to it, they probably won't get it. They probably won't understand what was so special about the, even the original Matrix and why it was so special because we've seen uh, that bullet technology repeated so many times now. So it's going to be hard for the Matrix in a number four to find that magic one more time and make it anything comparable to what we saw in the original Matrix movie. But again... It is underway. There is a Matrix 4 that's now into play as far as into production. Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss are part of it. I'm hoping Hugo Weaving and Lawrence Fishburne will return to their roles as Mr. Smith and Morpheus. I think that would hopefully for me get me involved and more interested into it. And I think would a lot of fans as well. But again, like you said, my friend, I don't see this as something that a lot of people are going to go ahead and go, wow. I got to go ahead and plug into the matrix once again. Yeah. And you know, is it going to be another Blade Runner 2049, right? Where their old science fiction fans are stoked about it. And then everyone else is just kind of, man, I don't understand it. You know, what might be smart is to have it take place in the matrix universe, but not call it matrix four, you know, have it be a totally fresh storyline. That's the only way I could see a continuation of that saga working. Not going to do that. They're going to slap the matrix name on it. Yeah, I just the Wachowskis are washed up filmmakers, man. And like, it, as much as I have enjoyed some of their films, I just I don't think that they have the magic in them anymore to create that. 
That could very well be the case, but it is only Lana Wachowski this time stepping back into the Matrix. So we'll have to wait and see what materializes when it comes to a new Matrix on the way. Is it going to be something that people are interested in, or is it something that's going to fizzle out like a lot of other nostalgia acts have done over the past few years? Let us know your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Before we head on out to the break, my friend, I want to ask you, did you get a chance to see the new title for the next 007 movie coming out in April of next year, No Time to Die? Yeah, I actually kind of dig it. It's a it's a really cool callback to the old James Bond films. But the last few ones have been, uh, you know, Quantum of Solace, Casino Royale, Skyfall, Spectre. Like, these were all very ominous titles, but No Time to Die kind of takes me back to, uh, you know, like the Sean Connery days. So um, I'm wondering if there's going to be some kind of return to form happening here. And this is Daniel Craig's last outing as James Bond, if the rumors are to be believed. So I would hope that this is something that's going to have all the stuff we love about Bond, but also create a good platform for the franchise going forward and still do a good job of closing out all the work that Daniel Craig has done over the past five Bond movies, which I think have been spectacular. I think it's been an uneven mix. I think some of the movies have been very good. Some of them have not been. But then again, that is the James Bond series as a whole for me. It's been all over the place from very good to not so good. Let's just put it that way. We'll keep our eyes on No Time to Die. Uh, you know, we'll see a trailer coming up at soon at some point in time. I'm sure probably cl- closer to the end of the year. It is coming out in April of 2020, which is a good time right before Black Widow comes out. A lot of people are going to be heading back to the theaters at that point in time. Will the advent of Lashana Lynch, if she's going to become the next 007, how she's going to be integrated within the framework of that film? You're right. How is Daniel Craig's 007 character going to be treated if this is truly his last outing, which is supposed to be? So we again, I'm hoping for something good for him on the way out. I think he's treated the character with great respect. And I think the fact that he has been the most successful Bond financially when it comes to the movies that have been out with both Spectre and especially Skyfall, which is the biggest movie of all time for Sony up until last week when Spider-Man Far From Home just passed it, it tells you right there that he's done a pretty good job with the role that has been given to him. So we'll we'll see when it comes to No Time to Die how his character will be treated on the way out and how Lashana Lynch or whoever they ultimately they get into the role of 007 will pan out. What are your thoughts out there on No Time to Die, the next 007 movie coming up in April 2020? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, Jessica Box from the TVRatingsGuide.com. She's going to stop by quickly talking about why HBO Succession is getting everybody up in arms and is becoming HBO's most popular show in the aftermath of the Game of Thrones. This is the PCC Multiverse. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. 
thrusted into heavy metal stardom as teenagers with their debut release, Kitty has thrashed and conquered the heavy metal world for the past 20 years. Kitty has defied industry norms, fought back against women and rock stereotypes, and inspired generations since they appeared. And now, for the first time, they've decided to share their untold story. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. Once again, it's my good friend Jessica Box from DTVRatingsGuide.com. You got to check out all of her great work there, plus all the original programming that they have, ratings, news, and updates, and reviews of all the great shows that they cover as well. That's the TVRatingsGuide.com for all your latest and greatest news on the entertainment and television world. My friend, you know, when it comes to everything that's going on in the TV ratings world, there's a lot that's going on and a lot of talk. In the past couple weeks, I've heard nothing but praise or nothing but excitement, enthusiasm through various outlets and social media like about the show from HBO called Secession. And this is something that for a lot of people went under the radar seemingly in season one. It wasn't talked about as much. There didn't seem to be as much interest. But season two has come out to some big ratings for HBO. And a lot of people are now talking about well, at least it's on the radar, actually, as far as HBO Succession. So I want to hear your thoughts. What is hitting with Succession? Why is it suddenly the talk of television at this point in time? Well, it set a new record by 200s with 0.18. And that has topped its season one premiere ratings. But now we're going to see whether it's a mini Yellowstone or a mini power as the season goes on. And it also has a lot of critical acclaim, like all your tepid performing HBO shows. If it's not the ratings, it's the acclaim that makes the show a huge part of HBO. You're right on that, because when it comes to HBO programming, a lot of their shows that don't get the ratings get the critical acclaim, and they seem to always be battling out. These days, when it comes to Emmy nominations, we've talked about it on our previous episode, how the latest Emmy nominations, it seemed to be a collection of either HBO or Netflix vying for the top. And that's what I think we're going to be seeing, at least in the near future, when it comes to television programming and Netflix and HBO battling it out for who's going to go ahead and one up who in as far as acclaim is concerned. So that's going to be interesting to see. But Secession really has taken hold with an audience. Those are some big ratings for a show that... A lot of people, again, was under the radar. Not a lot of people talked about it at this point in time in its first season. Didn't seem to garner that much interest as, or at least that many eyes upon it. But do you think that also could be a fact that there's no Westworld yet, but there's also now a void when it comes to HBO viewers without having any Game of Thrones? I think it has like established itself as like a huge hit on... HBO streaming, despite having almost 700,000 viewers like in this season premiere, but when you add streaming, that's over 2 million. 
And I think they're getting intrigued by the protagonists, like the Roy family dynamics in Secession. I think it's going to be at least kind of like a mini Yellowstone type thing. I think it's too soon for it to be a mini power. Although power started under the radar and now it's going to like a huge hit for stars. But HBO has the backing and the power behind it to go ahead and keep marketing Secession out there to make it an even bigger hit. Because like I've said, it's all over the place on social media and it's all over the place as far as outlets are reporting on it. Outlets that never even gave it the time of day this time last year or this time when his first season, they're now having reviews on it. They're dedicating podcasts to it. They're talking about it left and right. So it's interesting to see the type of foothold Secession now has and the audience it's now getting in. It's going to be very interesting to see if that holds up. I think it will because HBO's marketing power will probably continue that format. In fact, I think it will hold up better than Yellowstone because Paramount, even though it is pushing Yellowstone as its marquee franchise as far as its network, just the sheer fact that Paramount is not spending as much money on overall marketing than, let's say, an HBO would, we're still there's a limitation as far as how much it will go and how much we'll see as far as continuing with the success of Yellowstone. But I definitely think that Secession will become HBO's one of their major go-to series going forward. Do you agree or do you think that it's something that is going to be like a flash in a pan this time next year, nobody will be talking about Secession? I think it's still too soon to talk about whether it's going to be like a flash in a pan like next season. But I do think it's going to, with the post Game of Thrones world, like I expect it to become a solid player, if not a tentpole for it. It's not going to garner some of the the huge ratings that some of your top HBO shows, but I think it's going to be enough for it to last at least a few more seasons, but still too soon on the flash in the pan and whatnot. Once again, I have my good friend Jessica Box from the TVRatingsGuide.com. You got to check out all the great stuff that she's doing, along with all the other writers that are at the TVRatingsGuide.com. My friend, it's been great having you on the program for all three, all three episodes. It's so great to have you on the PCC Multiverse. It's so great to have you on the Pop Culture Cosmos. And again, just thanking you so much for taking the time to talking to us today. And looking forward to having you on next month with your September TV update right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My friend, I wanted to ask you real quick, Gamescom, we talked about it on our previous show, the Pop Culture Cosmos. 200,000 people heading there. was just It was another great time had by all. I saw a lot of the footage that was there. It's becoming a bigger and bigger entity. I wanted to ask you your thoughts on either the Nintendo Indie Showcase, the Xbox Showcase, or Jeff Keighley's opening night gala. Was there anything that really stood out to you as far as some of the footage that was shown, some of the trailers that were shown, and some of the games that were announced during Gamescom? See, I, I didn't see anything that really, like, saying to me you know the avengers footage i'm not i'm not a fan man like i appreciate what they're trying to do with the game but i don't think it looks it looks that appealing to me you know I, what i'm more stoked about was bandai namco talking about dragon ball kakarot like that that game looks 
looks fantastic to me. And I love the idea of playing a a full story role playing type game of Dragon Ball Z because we've never had that before. You know, of course, Cyberpunk looks good, but I, I just other than that, like, yeah, there's some Nindies coming out that could be good, but I just <laughs> there wasn't a lot that's made me as hyped as you know, say an E3 would. Did you get a chance to catch the Watch Dogs Legion demo? I did. It looked pretty good. I mean, obviously the fact that they're advertising that you can play virtually every character there, you know, is a playable character within the realm of London during the game. And you can assume their identity and, and that all have different characteristics and whatnot is very appealing. It's very interesting. And we'll see how that pans out once the game comes out. We saw more strange Death Stranding footage. It's it's just it's just crazy, my friends. So obviously that's going to be something a lot of people are, are, you know, a lot of Kojima fans are are pointing towards you when it comes out in November. The one thing I wanted to ask you is the Gears footage, and they had extensive Gears footage there as far as multiplayer and updated Horde mode, which I know a lot of people are looking forward to because that has been a standby since Gears of War 2. In fact, that they created pretty much the Horde mode and the Horde standard before everybody did it to death. And now they're doing something a little bit different with it. But the campaign, I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, it looks okay. It looks somewhat intriguing, but there's some parts like, for instance, the ice sailing and whatnot that kind of looked like, man, that's stuff that I really don't want to do in a video game. Probably is just one part of one stage of the game is not something I really wanted to go ahead and show off. I would probably be showing off the monsters coming at you a little bit more than what I saw. So I don't know, man, your thoughts on Gears 5. I just don't see the hype by Microsoft I mean, I'm seeing them trying. I just don't see the level of interest with people as far as Gears of 5 this time around. No, I mean, you know, the ice sailing was something that... I, I feel like all of the Gears have that to an extent, though. Like, remember in the first one, we got to drive the car along the bridge and shine the light at the bats as they're coming at you. I, I feel like every Gears has something like that. And even in Gears 4, right, you're driving the mech suits around. There's, they're always trying to introduce some kind of new vehicular combat system as for the campaign like i still don't know anything about it we saw marcus talking to kate right we saw that but we really didn't get to see any of the other characters in action what's going on with jd how they get back in cahoots with that you know the lady who was creating all the robot armies what is happening we don't know anything about this and all they showed was stuff involving kate like they didn't show any of the co-op stuff they didn't show any levels that might have other people on it. We got to see Baird for a minute, but really I don't know anything about this game. And that doesn't worry me as much as it it bothers me because it makes me feel like that all they really care about are the multiplayer and like horde aspects of the game. And we're going to get a very lackluster campaign. Which is a shame because they did put an emphasis on it before in previous Gears of War, at least to me, as far as what I thought in the first two, maybe even Gears of War 3 as well, where they put an emphasis on that part of the universe and getting you involved and getting you interested as far as the fight for Sarah and you know the cog and all that. I'm hoping that there will be an intriguing and enthralling narrative campaign I'm not sure that there will be. I mean, what they focused on as far as the footage that they show did not draw me in. It just is a kind of a shame. I was hoping for more and I didn't get it. I just don't see the level of anticipation, especially the fact that it's coming right around the time of Borderlands 3 that it needs to get. 
And that would be a shame because Gears, again, as we've talked about, my friend, Gears, Forza, Halo, Xbox doesn't have very many tentpole games to lean on, foundational pieces to lean on. And if this is how you treat it, it's not exactly the greatest thing in the world. I just, I'm just sad to see that Gears is not getting the love I think it should. Yeah, I agree, because Gears is one of their last big tentpole series. And I know uh, Phil Spencer has said, you know, we have all these studios working on exclusive properties, and it's just, I don't have a lot of comfort in what's happening here. And this alone doesn't give me a lot of faith for Halo Infinite, too, because if Microsoft is okaying, you know, a lackluster Gears campaign, and I could be wrong, it's just speculation, but if they're okaying a campaign that's lackluster and focus of more multiplayer stuff, what does that say about Halo? You know, there are other Temple series that's kind of been, you know, they have Gears and Halo. Those are their two things right now. And Forza, you always know what you're getting with that. But like, what is their idea of a, uh, you know, a good first party title? <laughs> you know, it, just, it doesn't really paint a good picture for me right now. No, it doesn't for me as well. And that's going to be a shame. But there was a lot of things that they did show off at Gamescom, not quite to the level of E3, but it's getting there, my friend. It's getting there. And could it take over E3? If, As we talked about and speculated on the Monday show, if E3 makes itself more and more difficult, like it has within recent times, where Sony and other big-name developers and publishers want to just bolt out and do their own thing or go to Gamescom, that's going to be a big issue. I still think the timing of Gamescom coming in late August will always prevent it from being the place where everybody shows off their stuff because... I think that there's going to be those companies that love to show off the games earlier in the year that are coming up that same year. And in order to do that, you need to be able to show it off in April, May, June, what have you. So that's why E3 is such a good fit. But yeah, if if E3 keeps on making itself harder and harder to deal with, that's going to be a problem for a lot of people going forward at E3. Then they're going to have to see more and more games and studios going over to Gamescom to show off their wares. Gamescom was a big success. About 200,000 people did attend the show. So you know what? You can't argue with the numbers as Gamescom makes a bigger and bigger claim on the video game industry. One thing I want to talk to you about before we head to a break, my friend, and we finish off another 10 in our countdown of the top 200 video games of all time, D23 is coming up this weekend. Speaking of Disney, because they're always in the news somehow, what are you looking forward to seeing when it comes to what's going on down the way from you, my friend, at D23? We will see a lot of theme park talk, I'm, I'm guessing, for like Epcot Center, Florida, and there, you know, those other locations. I don't know exactly what I want to hear them talk about. I know we'll probably hear something about the Marvel land that they've been rumored to be putting down in California Adventure. Do you think they're going to be making any like big movie announcements, though? They'll be doing something when it comes to The Rise of Skywalker. I know they'll be showing a full-fledged trailer that's going to be made public for The Mandalorian. Now that they've announced a date in November for Disney+, Plus, they've got to get that hype train going Whether or not they're going to announce a new movie, I don't know what they can do. I mean, Star Wars is not going to have a new movie coming out for at least another two or three years. They're going to take a little bit of a break there. But they could announce more Star Wars projects. I mean, we just heard the fact, we didn't even talk about within the past couple weeks that Ian McGregor 
finally getting the Obi-Wan thing straightening out. And it's not going to be a movie, but it is going to be a series coming to Disney Plus at some point in time. I believe in 2021 is the target date for that. So we're going to probably hear more about that. Like I said, The Mandalorian, more Star Wars projects coming to Disney Plus. I think this is going to be a lot about when it comes to D23, what is coming to Disney Plus. When it concerns the Marvel side of things, I think they're going to probably expand on more of what they wanted to talk about for Phase 4. Maybe even dip their toes even further into Phase 5. We'll have to wait and see, but I know they want to go ahead and solidify more of what's going on in Phase 4 and and get fans more familiar with what's coming up for the Eternals and Shang-Chi and all that. But I know we're going to hear a lot more about stuff related to Disney+. And I hope there will be some big announcements there, movie-wise. But at this point in time, I'm not sure exactly what realm that they're going to go ahead and draw into that's going to get us excited as fans. So a while back, they had announced that Guillermo del Toro was working on a Haunted Mansion movie. And I don't know if that's still happening, but I would really love to see that come to life in some way. So that would be a, a cool like surprise announcement if they had anything. I don't know how I would feel about another Pirates movie. I know there's been rumblings about that going around the internet for a little bit. But you know, I would love to see something outside of Marvel and Star Wars that might be interesting to me. You know, they haven't really done anything original in the live action scene for a while. So I'd like to error, you know, something based on one of their other properties that we haven't seen in a long time. That would be cool. That would be cool. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see if they can go ahead and build something up like a Pirates of the Caribbean. Not to ask you for another Pirates of the Caribbean, but something that they have a property of that they haven't used or haven't used much and build that up into something special like we saw early on with the Pirates of the Caribbean series and some other stuff that they've done over the course of time. Even if it's something out of the realm, out of the box, something that they haven't used before, that Disney will hopefully provide the people at D23 with something special. So we'll see what's going on, and we'll report it on our Monday show, The Pop Culture Cosmos, everything that went on that was important at D23. So it's going to be big. How big? I'm not quite sure. If it's going to be anywhere near what they showed off at Comic-Con, I don't know how it can get bigger than that. But again, we'll let you know this Monday on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Coming up after the break, we're going to close out the show with numbers 181 to 190 in our top 200 video games of all time. This is the PCC Multiverse. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. If you need a listing where we're at, because we're being played all around the world on great radio stations all over, check out our listings today at Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, including our great friends at Pulse Talk Radio. Cannot thank them enough for playing our show. It's PulseTalkRadio.com. Also as well, we got a listing of many of our over 30 different podcast outlets. You can always check out our great podcasts on our good friends at Gun Geek. You want to check them out today at Gun Geek. Com. My friend, you've got a great thing going on with your awesome book that's selling real well. Congratulations, you suck. 
let everybody know real quick why people need to get a copy of Congratulations, You Suck. You can read a lot of the reviews put up on Amazon right now, but it's it deals with a lot of heavy themes that I think are relevant to today's society, and people are enjoying it more than I thought they would. So I poured a lot of heart into it, and I would really appreciate anyone picking it up and just let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you think. You know, I, I really appreciate it. I go through a lot of heartbreak issues just on this show. Don't we all? <laughs> but once again, that is congratulations, you suck. That is available today at Barnes & Noble, barnesandnoble.com, on the Nook, at amazon.com, and also for the Kindle, at, all at great prices. My friend, before we head on out, want to thank Jessica Box from the TVRatingsGuide.com for talking about HBO Succession going to be a great show we got for you on monday talking about d23 and so much more but before we end on out we want to quickly break down again in our listing of the top 200 video games of all time which you can check out in full on popculturecosmos.wordpress.com at number 190 is nhl 96 as an nhl fan i know you like that mega man 8 is at 189 Mass Effect, a truly inspirational game, and it, you know, I've, as you see in the background right here, always on our shows, it still has a remnant with me today. That's at 188 as far as the storytelling and RPG narrative. I think it's it should be top 20 for me. Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest, considered one of the best baseball games ever made. That's at 187. Grand Theft Auto 4, that's at 186. My gosh, do I need to say anything more about GTA 4? Very successful game and a game that broke a lot of rules when it comes to open world games. 185, Fire Emblem, Path of Radiance. 184, Final Fantasy Tactics. Any of these games stick out to you that's left a remnant with you in any form or fashion, my friend? So NHL 96 was the first hockey game I played. And I remember that it was... I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I have it on Sega, actually. It's in the shelf behind me. But I wrote about this one specifically because it has the virtual stadium technology. It was the first time they actually put people in the seats in a sports game, which was kind of cool. And it's it 3D, right? So where, where other games before were kind of flat 2D against the screen... This one, you could actually scroll around your characters as they're skating, there are people in the stands. So it was a very, very cool sports game, very interesting change, and it was it was just fun. I remember investing a lot of time in it. You know, like you said, Mass Effect is a game that I've invested a lot of time in. And I, I feel like for a modern RPG, it really does set the standard for sci-fi games from then on and going forward. Don't just listen to me. I mean, Shepard's right behind me saying, you know, why am I not lower on the list? So... <laughs> Well, again, you know, look at look at the list itself, though. And look at the pool of people that we got to vote on the list. There are so many games from the 80s and 90s on here. So let me break down the rest of the list for you. Because, again, like I said, Fire Emblem Path of Radiance is 185. Final Fantasy Tactics is 184. Chips Challenge is at 183. Blood Rain, the original, that's at 182. And at 181 is Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Again, we're seeing a mix of some of the new and some of the older games. Like you said, so many retro games are involved in this entire list. If you want to check it out today, it's at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. We're breaking it down 10 by 10 by 10. A new 10 is being introduced every day on that site, so you want to check it out. But again, my friend, like you said, there's so many older retro games being mixed in with the games of today. And I think that's good to see. 
I agree. I, I also think it's good to see, but it's, you know, again, it's going to be a boon for anyone hoping to see a whole lot of modern games on there, but you know, we're only at 180. So we'll, we'll see where the, the list goes as we go on. You know, the only other game in this particular bracket here that I have a lot of experience with was Final Fantasy Tactics. And I'll be honest, I was one of those people who, when Tactics first came out, I was really turned off by it, you know, because I had gotten so used to playing Final Fantasy in a certain way. It took me weeks of going back to this game to try to figure out how the gameplay works. And because I spent so long playing it, I do have really good experiences. I don't like tactical games anymore. But Final Fantasy Tactics is a game that definitely sticks out to me. And I love that they went back with Final Fantasy XII into the world where this game took place. It was a really cool uh, shout-out to the past. Absolutely. And as this list continues, we're going to see more and more great titles that a lot of people remember. And some that maybe not as many people remember or some that maybe flew under the radar or some that maybe are very underrated we're going to see some of those titles showing up even more as we continue our list of the top 200 video games of all time. But again, if you want to check out the list, a new 10 is popping up each and every day, and that's going to be at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Well, it's been a great episode, my friend. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of it. It's just been truly awesome having you here as well. I know there's been some questions on whether or not the Pop Culture Cosmos is going to be involved with doing fantasy football this year. We are going to be doing a fantasy football show. I just reached out to Chris Lardieri of Inside Sports, and I are going to get together sometime very soon, hopefully by Monday's episode, to get something squared out. If not, it'll be soon after that, so you can get prepared for your upcoming fantasy football draft and the fantasy football season. But it's been a great time here this week. Again, thank you to Jessica Box for being a part of our past three broadcasts. Any last thoughts on the way out, my friend? Yes, still want to talk about the boys one day. Well, we've got time right now. Let's shoot the breeze on the boys because, as I said before on this show, this was truly an awesome show. In fact, I think it's right now standing as one of the best of 2019 in any platform as far as TV shows are concerned, whether it's streaming, broadcast, or cable. Your thoughts on The Boys before we head on out? Got to the end. Loved where it was going. Loved the humanization of Carl Urban's Billy Butcher character. Got to see that. And I know that they do this when they end shows, but like it just felt like it was bait to come back and watch another season, you know, and even then when we come back, we're not going to get the answers that we were after. And my, my fear with this show is great as it is. And I love the way that they pose the question. You can't have these people being superheroes and not experience corruption when they're involved in, you know, the world of human politics. But I, my fear is that this being an Eric Kripke led show that it's going to end up like Supernatural and run for 15 seasons, and I don't want that. I wanted more closure at the end of the season because we didn't really get to see what happened to the other characters. You know, I know Carl Urban did an amazing job. Most of the cast did also extremely well. And I know Chase Crawford is getting a lot of kudos for playing the deep and, and the scenes that he's in. But I will tell you, my friend, Anthony Starr is Homelander. I'm still contemplating whether him or Jared Harris in Chernobyl is the best performance I've seen on any platform this year. Just truly outstanding. I mean, you know, as Homelander, he really brings that evil dark side to someone that is just supposed to be so good of a character and how he translates that into the fortification of the seven and all that. It's just, 
truly remarkable performance and it really set like you said it's supposed to set up for season two and it got you bait and it got you the cliffhanger and all that but again i i just i cannot laud enough praise to anthony Starr for his turn as homelander no he did a great job and he's actually very terrifying because we've all had friends like that growing up the ones who are like total different face to your parents and grownups like, Oh yeah. And they're like the sweetest kid ever. And then as soon as the parents walk away, they go back to like punching you in the gut or something, you know, we've all had friends like that. And that's exactly what Homelander reminds me of. He's a very psychological character played very well. I'm curious how Billy Butcher escapes him. You know, they, they, they find his wife and turns out Homelander has a kid. Yada, yada. You know, they didn't really clear up any of that stuff. So I want to know more about that, but more so is there going to be, I love watching the relationship between Homelander and Billy Butcher kind of develop because you can tell Homelander gets why he would hate him so much. And that's kind of, that was an interesting dynamic to me. To me as well. And I'm looking forward to a season two of the boys. It's already started production. Amazon is seeing how popular it is. It's gotten a lot of acclaim. It's gotten a lot of interest. And quite frankly, to me, it's the best superhero TV show that's been made this year. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Hey gang, are you looking for another podcast to listen to? Well, you're in luck. The Nerdy Laser is a podcast, and we specialize in 90s nerd culture. But we don't leave anything out. If something is cool and nerdy, we will talk about it. So join myself, Richard Yule, and a variety of guests on the Nerdy Laser podcast, available on iTunes, Podbean, and the ESO Network. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.